time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Tuesday, August 4th, 2020. Hope you're all doing well. Thank you for joining us today. A big thank you to Zach Stiver uh, yesterday for getting our week started. Pretty good interview. Got a lot of plays. Uh, definitely more than the average, we'll say, on the first day. So uh, I think that has a lot to do with uh, the promoting of the episode. That goes a long way with anybody we talk to uh, on the program. We generally say, hey, uh, let me get a picture we can post, kind of describe your upcoming episode the next day. And so some people are really good about forwarding that information and sharing it with others, kind of telling their family and friends that they're going to be on the, the program. Uh, so that definitely helps, but we are increasing our listenership as well. I mentioned yesterday, you know, we're approaching uh, that 6,000 plays mark, total plays. Uh, we're also approaching our 100th show that will be coming up here shortly. So it's been uh, quite a ride so far, quite a, quite a ride. So uh, thank you to Zach for promoting uh, the show a little bit with forwarding some of our our Twitter uh, our Twitter posts, Facebook posts, and everything. If you haven't had a chance to listen to Zach, uh, feel free to go back and listen to yesterday's episode. Uh, also, plenty of great episodes from the past, including last week, uh, some, some really great uh, catching up with friends from the past and such. Uh, we've continued to do that here consistently for the past few months, and it's been such a blessing. I, I got to tell you, I say it every day, every episode, but but I really do mean it. From the bottom of my heart, it's been so much fun catching up with people that I haven't talked to in a while that I've wanted to. And all we needed was a pandemic, uh, you know, quarantine, if you will, to kind of do that. Um, on the program today, we're going to be joined by Dane Ritaski. Dane and I uh, umpired a little bit together back in the day, 2009 to be specific. We umpired a college wood bat summer league, kind of as uh, we were waiting to be called into the minor leagues. That was kind of like the, the waiting room, if you will, for uh, minor league baseball. So we worked out for about a month and that was pretty much it. Never really saw each other after that, but we've stayed in touch a little bit here and there. Dane is originally from, from Baltimore. So we'll talk some Ravens football. He also went to the university of Auburn. So we're going to talk some Tigers football, some sec football, kind of what that experience was like. Currently he is a veterinarian in Buffalo. So he's kind of been all over the place. And I think that's great. It's a great tribute to uh, you know how life can be sometimes where you kind of bounce around doing different things. One day you think you're going to be a, a you know a minor league or a professional baseball umpire and pursue that life. And then a few years later, you're a, you're a veterinarian. So, I mean, that just goes to show that our, our plans are sometimes made. And you know what? Maybe it's a small part of the plan one way or another, but we always wind up exactly where where we were supposed to, right? So uh, anyway, looking forward to you guys hearing the interview with Dane Ritaski here coming up shortly, even if you're not an umpire or a care about any of that type of stuff. I think it'll be fun to listen to. So stay patient with us. We'll be talking about that uh, here upcoming in a few minutes. Uh, some of my initial thoughts today on a Tuesday is, uh, you know, with the month of August coming around, there's a lot of talk about unemployment, the additional 600 bucks that the federal government was giving us. 
in unemployment is, is kind of expired. And there's some discussion as to uh, what should and should not continue. Uh, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people on unemployment or have been the past few months. It's been odd. I definitely, I've never gone this length of time without working. I continue to look for work and everything, but I think uh, a great deal of the country is ready to get back to work. Uh, whether uh, we see some of the the normal things we normally do with schools or uh, sports coming back, even though it's come back a little bit, I think people are hungry to get back to work. People want to uh, feel a sense of purpose, if you will. I know I do. I've had this podcast, which has been wonderful. It's been a blessing, giving me something to do every day. But I'm ready for a new chapter in my life as well. I'm ready to move forward and uh, work hard at whatever it is, whatever opportunity is out there for me. So looking forward to that unemployment ending. You know what? Uh, hopefully everyone is saved and is ready to get back at it um, because we can't we can't do this stuff forever, I know, and, and it's time to to move forward. So that is where I'm at. Uh, here in the month of August as we turn the page and who knows what will happen in, in the next few months. But I know I speak for a few other people that we're ready to get back to work and get back at it and uh, take some steps back to uh, the normal, the normal lives we once had, if, if there is such a thing as normal, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, as a former umpire, used to hear this a lot. Like uh, I heard this quote the other day about, uh, you know what, these days we don't, there's no solutions. There's only complaints. And I kind of chuckled because I saw that a lot of my officiating career, especially umpiring, because I did more baseball than any other sport. But it's interesting. You know, you do hear a lot of people complain, but then there's no real solutions. It's almost like people just want to throw tantrums, but they don't want to kind of make any progress. There's no options. There's no solutions. So so that really that really carried uh, carried with me a little bit uh, throughout the past couple of days. I thought it was an interesting thing. Uh, that said, I also saw something social media. I won't tell you who it was. Uh, it was uh, one of my Facebook friends, and they posted something. It was in regards to the Dodgers and how uh, basically people in baseball are so offended. Everyone's so easily offended now. Uh, and that's there's some truth to that. People, everyone's easily offended by every little thing, right? And baseball is the worst because you got oh he he didn't run fast enough to first base, or oh he swung too hard on a three zero count, or you know he whatever it is. There, there's all these unwritten rules in baseball, and and in a way that's what make baseball great. It really is. But man, there, there is this in in this age where we are easily offended by everything. I mean, absolutely everything is offensive, and I've joked about that. Uh, some other episodes, you know, baseball is a sport where you really see it, uh, including it in life, but baseball, it, it, it jumps out at you. And what, what I found humorous was I saw my friend make a comment. I didn't, I didn't comment on it. Then I saw somebody else comment and it was hilarious to me that he kind of said some of the things that I just said, like, Oh, we live in such a soft society and people are offended by everything and every little thing. And I kind of laughed because the person who commented was a baseball coach. And I thought to myself, well, I've umpired your games. I've also watched a lot of your games and, and you are, you are someone who fits that category. You're easily offended by everything, everything that happens. You're paranoid, thinks everyone is out to get you. And so it was kind of funny how people speak their minds sometime. And it's kind of backwards from, I guess, their actions from, you know, seeing the past and everyone can grow and improve. But I did find that uh, rather, rather humorous, I guess you'd say. Uh, but anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you guys is something I saw and was just like, wow, that's interesting. Um, I don't want to get too much into politics or anything today. Uh, we always have a great show on Wednesday, which is the weekly Wednesday weigh in with our 
uh, only weekly guest, Bill Barnes, retired police officer, retired college baseball umpire. He has very strong opinions, and he and I chat a lot about uh, current events and kind of the things that are going on. But but I do want to say this about about sports, and I've kind of mentioned it the past few days. But you know, much like elections, you know, sports you need to win the middle. And what I mean by that is when you have an election, Republican, Democrat, whatever, you're going to have, you have your base. Your base is probably not going to vote against you more than likely. You're probably also not going to get too many people from the other side of the aisle to cross over in elections. This is, but that's why there's such an emphasis on the middle people that are moderates, people that consider themselves in the middle. Uh, you know, there's a big emphasis on swing states usually, right? Well, I feel with sports right now, some of these professional sports are really gambling. They are, they are gambling that their base, their diehard fans that would never leave the NBA, that would never leave major league baseball, that would never leave the NFL. Uh, they, they are hoping and gambling that, that those are the people that are going to continue forward with them. And, you know, not be bothered by some of the political statements or messages and all these different things that are going on in professional sports. Well, the people that love the NFL, I'll say NFL or NBA or just any sport, fill fill in the blank, really. The people that love the NBA probably aren't going to go away from it. You might lose a few people. Okay, the people that hate the NBA, they're not really going to be drawn to it anyway. But it's those middle of the road people. It's the middle, the moderates, the undecided, if you will, where much like an election, you you got to kind of not push those people away. And I've talked about that for a few uh, episodes now about pushing people away and how the, uh, these professional sports need to be careful. So that was my thought as we're kind of in an election year that, you know, with sports, they are, they are, they are on thin ice, I think, and they need to be careful that they don't push away moderates. They don't push away uh, the middle of the road type of fan that, that likes tuning in. Uh, but if you give them a reason to turn it off, they will, you're not going to lose the diehard fans, the people that live and breathe, uh, NBA basketball or NFL football. Uh, and you're not probably not going to gain any people that don't watch your sport that are against your sport. So that's kind of my thought this morning with, uh, with just sports in general, it being an election year and kind of tying that together. I don't know that people are respecting, the middle of the road in sports, the moderate fans. I think they're counting a lot on their diehard fans and who knows what will happen here in the near future. Uh, I know there's been some reports about ratings not being where they should be already. And I'm sure there's other reports that, that they're, uh, that they're fine. They're right where they should be. So we'll see. I think only time will tell. And that is just something uh, that was on my mind today. And kind of the analogy I I thought of randomly while walking uh, yesterday that I thought I would share with you guys. Uh, one final thing I want to say this morning, um, Dane, our guest today was in minor league baseball, uh, with myself and we were partners on a baseball field just before uh, getting officially into minor league baseball and the minor league baseball community umpiring world. That is, uh, lost someone really special recently. Um, Lillian Patterson, she actually passed away on the same day my mother did. Um, my mom died in 2008. Lillian passed away last week, uh, 20 and July 27th, 2020. She was a, a fixture in minor league baseball umpires lives. She worked in the, um, she worked in the minor league baseball office, specifically the professional baseball umpire corporation. 
Uh, she was involved in pretty much all of the office related duties. She, uh, she was the person who ended up calling you, uh, you know, when you got your official call into minor league baseball, I know that was a thrill for her, uh, all these years. She's a special assistant to uh, minor league baseball. And as I mentioned, she recently passed away. I want to read for you guys, uh, just briefly, uh, some from her obituary, uh, that was recently written because I think it's relevant to not only our guests today, but there are some minor league baseball umpires who have listened to uh, this program. And so I do want to pay a little tribute here to Miss Lillian Patterson. So uh, here is from her uh, obituary and I will try to uh, get through it as quick as I can here. But uh, Lillian was born on October 1st, 1948 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and was the daughter of the late Peter and Lillian Costello. Lillian was preceded in death by her devoted and loving husband, James Pat, sister Mary, and brother Peter. Lillian moved to Florida in 1989 after she couldn't take living in New Jersey any longer. She joined Major League Baseball's umpire development program in 1992 and remained there until 1997. She was hired by Minor League Baseball's Professional Baseball Umpire Corporation, PBUC, in a similar role in January 1998 and continued to work until her retirement in 2017. While she didn't have any biological children, Lillian was a surrogate mother to the thousands of young professional baseball umpires over the past 25 years. To this day, some umpires still have visions of her anytime they drink water to stay hydrated during games. She was a genuine and a, she was as genuine and as loyal of a friend as one could be with an infectious laugh and a love for singing and dancing anywhere and to any song. A devout Catholic and parishioner of Holy Family Catholic Church, she could be found there every week for Mass. Always hardworking and often underappreciated, she always believed in the good of people and put others ahead of herself. She was always there to offer a calming voice of reason or an ear to talk to for advice. So long as it was Monday through Saturday, as her one non-negotiable habit had her had her glued to the TV on Sundays, watching her beloved Bucks or anything about Tom Brady and the Patriots. Well, I can honestly say. Uh, about Miss Lillian Patterson, uh, Mrs. Lillian Patterson. What a wonderful young lady, uh, wonderful person to be affiliated with minor league baseball. She took great pride in calling um, each and every umpire as they were getting uh, the call to come into the minor leagues. And we always were looking for that 727 area code, I believe it was. And uh, we knew uh, that was Lillian Patterson calling you. And when she called us, uh, she was just thrilled to give us the news. Uh, we, we went through her for a lot of things. Any questions we had on the road, uh, she was always so helpful. She was sent us our uniforms. She would uh, provide us any changes in our travel arrangements, uh, anything of that nature. So uh, Lillian, rest in peace. We will miss you. Uh, I know that with every phone call, she always ended it with, uh, hey, make sure you're drinking lots of water out there. It's hot. Uh, she was like the article here said she didn't have any kids, but she was the mother of a lot of minor league baseball umpires over the years. And even though I was only in minor league baseball from 2009 to 2012, uh, she is someone that had a great impact on us, uh, me and so many others. So she will be greatly missed. Um, I can't say any more than that, really. Uh, uh, she will not be forgotten. Uh, one thing uh, that the article mentioned was in lieu of flowers there. 
accepting donations in Lillian's name to a couple different, uh, the church and such. But one thing uh, she was affiliated with and everyone in kind of professional baseball was affiliated with was it's called Umps Care, U-M-P-S-C-A-R-E, umpscare.com. And basically it's the official charity of uh, Major League Baseball umpires, I guess you could say. I mean, anyone could contribute, anyone can be involved, but Major League Baseball does a great job of going around their umpires to different hospitals and uh, just kind of being there for kids that uh, that are in need. Uh, on the Umpscare website here, uh, umpscare.com, right up front, it says helping people is an easy call. Uh, umpires providing major league support to at-risk and clinic, critical, excuse me, critically ill children, children adopted late in life, and military families. So that is kind of the mission statement of Umps Care. And in lieu of flowers, it was mentioned in the obituary that people can make a donation to Umps Care in Lillian's name if you should so desire. So I thought I'd relay that information. Rest in peace, Miss Lillian Patterson. You will be missed. I know I speak for a lot of uh, minor league baseball umpires that uh, share those those sentiments. So thanks again for all you have done for us, and uh, we will miss you. Well, uh, let's get to our guest today, Mr. Dane Ritaski. Uh, former minor league baseball umpire and current veterinarian. I bet you didn't think you'd ever hear that phrase <laughs> thrown out there, but uh, Dane's a good friend of mine. We haven't seen each other in many years, but I thought it would be a great opportunity to catch up, talk about some of the good old days, if you will, and uh, just share some laughs, share some stories and uh, all of the above. So we'll get right to our interview with Dane after a quick break. I could promise you, I, I think you guys will really like this interview. We, we talk some football and some baseball and uh, just a little bit about how life uh, can take us in directions we never thought they would. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll get right at it with our interview with Dane Ritaski. Okay, joining us today is Dane Ritaski. Dane is a good friend of mine that I have not had the opportunity to talk as much with as I would like to over the years, but we're all busy going in different directions. It's, it's going to be a great time catching up here today. Uh, Dane currently lives in Buffalo, New York. He is a veterinarian. Uh, I knew him as a baseball umpire as he and I were starting out our baseball journey together and uh, trying to get into the minor leagues. We spent uh, a month together traveling around in a college woodbat summer league known as the Coastal Plain League, but we'll get to all that. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on uh, all of the things uh, about Dane here upcoming. He's an Auburn graduate, so he's a huge Auburn football fan from Baltimore originally, but he is joining us today from Buffalo, New York. Dane Ritaski, welcome to the program, my friend. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. Man, it has been far too long. Uh, we met back in 2009, and here we are in 2020. Uh, I think this is the first time we have either talked on the phone or seen each other in person uh, through this Zoom call we're doing right now. We've texted, we've messaged, but man, we haven't had a chance to really chat in 11 years. Yeah, I was going to say it's been over a decade. Yep. <laughs> well, as I talk with a lot of my old friends is that, you know what, all it took was a pandemic for us to... Uh, <laughs> spend some time and reach out to some people that we haven't talked to a lot of but uh pandemic or not i am glad you're here uh, opportunity to talk with you and catch up have, have you had an opportunity to listen to uh, any of these uh, podcasts we've been doing i know you're a busy man moving to buffalo recently so you probably don't have a whole lot of time yeah i've caught the better part of a couple of them oh cool very cool well uh as far as the minor league baseball alumni 
you know, it's fun catching up with guys that kind of did the same thing I did and were from all different parts of the country, really. Uh, I did not mention, but you did get to minor league baseball. You were in the same years as I was, 2009 to 2012. And uh, we, you, that's when I met you. You had this passion for umpiring. I actually learned a lot from you uh, as we were starting out because we weren't exactly in the minor leagues yet, but we were on like the, I don't know, we were in the waiting room, I guess you would say, as you, yeah. as, you know, so. Purgatory. Yeah, purgatory, just hoping for that call, hoping to, uh, to get there. And uh, anyway, there's so many things we got to chat about here, Dane. Uh, we'll, we'll get to all of them here. We'll try to uh, stay somewhat organized as best we can. But uh, you're, you're working as a veterinarian right now. And I know that at Auburn, you were studying uh, zoology. But and we'll, t- we'll go back and talk about baseball and your college experience and everything. But tell me about being a veterinarian. And it, it's, a, it's something you obviously were passionate about and wanted to do. Uh, and now you moved up to, to Buffalo to do it. So what has it been like in the, the, the past year or so, we'll say, in becoming a veterinarian and moving to Buffalo? Yeah, it's been a, been a wild ride, a stressful ride, um, just uh, especially in these first, as you're finishing up school, you know, the last year of school. Uh, so I was, I spent my last year of school down at Tufts um, and was doing my clinical year down there. And that's when you get to basically practice being a doctor. You're still a student, um, but you're trying to practice what it's going to be like when you're out there. Um, and, and you know nothing. And uh, you're just constantly reminded of how little you know. Um, so that's, it's very humbling. Um, and you just feel very stupid all the time. Uh, and then you get out into practice. Uh, and you realize you're not as dumb as you thought you were. Um, there's I, don't to, I don't want to interrupt Dane, but, but all yeah. this sounds exactly like umpiring so far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Proceed. <laughs> yeah. It's very similar. Um, but yeah, no, I know it's, it's been stressful the first, uh, first couple months, you know, just learning how to practice in the specific format that, um, you know, my, my, uh, uh, hospital wants me to practice in. And, you know, I'm very like, buddy buddy guy very informal I just want to be best friends with all my clients and uh, that's been a, an adjustment that I've I've been ma- having to make and you know just trying to be more professional professional and play the doctor role a little bit more gotcha gotcha well uh, I gotta ask this because it's been such a weird year here in 2020 and um, I don't know I don't know a whole lot about the medical field and everything, but I know yeah. your, fo- your focus is obviously with animals and not humans, but were there still some challenges in kind of uh, the beginning of this year and, and where we're at now with some of the, I don't know, restrictions maybe, or just some obstacles really that you had to go through uh, in, in uh, really getting to where you want to be this year? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So transitioning from my clinical year at Tufts, so at the very tail end of my clinical year, so I, I graduated March 31st, technically. And, uh, and at the tail end, so COVID all, I mean, technically started back in January, right? Uh, but I feel like for most of us, it didn't get real until March. Uh, you know, that's when it started to really affect everyone's lives in a very uh, grand way. So that's when we all of a sudden mid-March got the memo that we weren't going to be in the hospital. Students weren't going to be in the hospital anymore. 
Um, so what started out seeming like, oh, great, I just get a couple weeks off. You know, well, eventually I had to make those two weeks up. Um, it just threw everyone and everyone had to be very understanding because, you know, like administration obviously was dealing with something completely unheard of. The whole world was just dealing with something on a completely brand new scale. No one has ever had to deal with anything like this before. Right. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we've all had to change our lives so much. And so it was, it was at, at a time of such transition, it was a little bit frustrating because I, all I wanted to do was get on with my life and go and start working. Um, but there was, uh, there was a, some hiccups there from an administrative standpoint, some delays, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it had to have been a little frustrating, Dane. I mean, we're, we're similar age, you know, you, we've all had this, uh, this journey. I would say that's pretty similar, but you, you, you get to kind of within a few steps of your goal here. And then all of a sudden this weird virus hits and pandemic, it's like, wait a minute, man, come on. Like you want to talk about adversity and everything. It had to be a little frustrating for you, wasn't it? hundred percent. Yeah, man. Yeah. So <laughs> super, super frustrating. Like I said, at first it was like, Oh great. You know, I don't have to go into the clinic anymore. This <laughs> zoom meetings or nothing, no big deal. But then as things started to wrap up, you know, I realized like, I was like, Hey, administration, like, is this going to affect when I graduate? And it just was, it just made things a lot less fluid than they normally are to say the least. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sounds, go ahead. <laughs> sounds like, uh, I guess I can relate to, you know, you're about to finish up a game, a baseball game, right? And then some guy uh, who hasn't hit a home run all year uh, runs into a three-run shot to tie it. Now we go extra innings and we got uh, extra baseball and extra umpiring to have to do. So that's kind of yeah. what it sounds like, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, well, Dan, what has it been like here as a veterinarian and, and moving up to Buffalo I mean, is it more, was, was that where the opportunity was for you or was there another reason you kind of moved up there? Yeah, I had a, had a fantastic job offer up here. You know, I never, never saw myself moving up to Buffalo. I'm not a cold weather guy. Uh, so, you know, I, I was actually looking for jobs on the coast and then, but I was entertaining jobs from everywhere, but I was sort of honing in on the coast. And uh, I got this job from, from my current boss and I was reading the email and the job offer and everything. And I'm like, this is unreal. And I, I came up, I came up here to interview and he like rolled out the red carpet. You know, he did everything right. He, you know, paid for my flight, paid for my uh, rental car, you know, it just really made me feel wanted. And he was the first, first hospital owner that had done that such a thing for me. I'd been interviewing quite a bit and he was the first one that did anything like that. So just got a good sense from him and you know the offer was fantastic and uh, just made me feel wanted so <laughs> I made the made the leap probably a much easier leap to go uh, in the summertime to Buffalo I, you know he's making the sale to you then uh, I know that winter coming up uh, it's never not cold in Buffalo we know that yeah yeah when I came in I interviewed in like early March and I got up there and I was like oh my God, <laughs> it's like no sign of spring whatsoever. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, yeah, I know what that's like. I mean, be, being a California guy, nobody out here knows what cold is. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And then traveling yeah. through baseball a little bit and some of, some of the most cold I've ever been is in the springtime in some of these places. I was like, wow. And there's snow and everything. I was like yeah. shell shocked <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Well, well, Dan, you, you kind of mentioned not being a cold weather guy, but you're from the Baltimore area. Uh, you spent a lot of your life there. Is that where you grew up as a kid? Yep, sure is. Yeah, spent the first, uh, you know, all the way up through high school. Yep. So, so you learned pretty early, like you, you had spent enough time in cold weather to be like, yeah, this isn't for me. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, awesome stuff. Well, 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 Dane, what, what can you tell us about the city of Baltimore and, and growing up? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm assuming good, good, some good seafood over there, some very good uh, sports fans. If you could sum up uh, Baltimore in a few sentences, what would you say about it? Yeah. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's like, I think personally for me, arguably the best seafood, not just in the United States, but potentially in the world. I've, I've spent a good amount of time traveling and I have never found one place that has such amazing concentration of great seafood options. Um, you know, blue crabs, my favorite food. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, very much a sports city, uh, very working class uh, people rally around uh, the Orioles and the Ravens more so the Ravens lately. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's just a great sports culture and uh, it was a fantastic place to grow up and live. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, having the Ravens there, I would say this, having a football team an NFL team in a city does change things. It's, it's a completely different uh, environment. Uh, you know, uh, the Ravens have had some great success and we know that they used to be the Cleveland Browns, of course, but you know, the Ravens have won a couple Super Bowls, 2001, 2013. Uh, and you know, last year, Dane, they had this incredible team and everyone was like, man, they look unstoppable. And you yeah. know, they, they came to the LA Coliseum. I was at the game. They destroyed my Rams. And I was just like, Oh man, back to, back to the old days where the Rams are terrible, but uh, the Ravens, man, they had an incredible year. And unfortunately, you know, anything can happen in the playoffs. That's just, that's just how it is. So some people uh, like, Oh, they're, they were faker. No, they're, they're a good team. John Harbaugh is a, a, a heck of a coach. Uh, you know, just, uh, not to shut Jackson, excuse me. Um, oh, his name's escaping me right now. Quarterback. Jackson. Yeah. Lamar, Lamar. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. To Sean, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, incredible player, uh, very different type of player. I mean, I don't know how close you follow the team, but, uh, you know, as far as the city, the city had to be fired up last year with how good the team was playing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had been in Baltimore, you know, I, ha I haven't been living consistently in the Baltimore area for the past, uh, five, six years. And, uh -huh. and I was so, I was so annoyed it was a bittersweet, you know, like I think that this is last season was the most, not only was that team phenomenal, but just so much fun to watch, like mm -hmm. so much fun, the style of football, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but just really enjoy watching Lamar Jackson work. Um, and I was a little, I was a little annoyed that I couldn't be in Baltimore last season. <laughs> Man, well, uh, let's see. They, I'm not sure. When did they move? 99? Late 90s, I know, the, the Ravens mm -hmm. moved yeah. to Baltimore, right? So uh, you're, you were probably around how old when the Ravens got there? Yeah, I was uh, – I want to say I was, like, close to the end of uh, junior high or transitioning into high school, something somewhere around that, those okay. ages. So, like, you know, 13, 14, something like that. So, so old enough to appreciate, Hey, there's a football team here now. Right. And, and so was it, I mean, you hadn't 
there hadn't been a football team in Baltimore since, uh, you know, the Colts left in the middle of the night, uh, you know, way back. And I mean, for the city of Baltimore was, was football returning and having their own team. Uh, you've kind of touched on it already, but just, you know, one more time. I mean, was it just this, uh, welcoming presence was everyone just fired up that like hey this is even though they came from another city hey this team is ours yeah so it was like it was it was sort of cut in half at the time and this faded really quickly but it was like half the people were like no Colts forever you know like people were just holding on to the past you know and like no I'll always be a Colts fan um and and a Baltimore Colts fan not an Indianapolis Colts fan you know yeah um and, and then the other half were just elated, you know, that we were getting this team. Uh, but like I said, that didn't last very long. People, everyone got on board after, God, I don't know, a year, two years. <laughs> yeah, so, some really good teams. They're always fun to watch. I mean, there's not too many times where, where they play uh, bad football. And I think that has a lot to do with kind of the, the city and just, you know, what, what it's – I don't know the whole environment out there. So good stuff. Uh, Baltimore sports. I think the Ravens are going to be just fine here in the, in the near future. And I'm sure we'll be talking some more Ravens football here uh, down the road. Well, well, Dane, how does a kid from Baltimore wind up in the deep South at an SEC school uh, in Auburn, Alabama? Great, great school, great program and everything. But I mean, you don't think of someone from the East coast going all the way down there. So what was that like? What made you, what, were there other options in your, in your mind? What ultimately took you down to Auburn? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there absolutely were other options. You know, I, I decided pretty quickly that I wanted to go to a big university uh, and I narrowed it down to college park, Maryland, university of Maryland, college park and uh, Auburn. And, you know, both my parents are uh, college park grads. Uh, so they both wanted me to go there, but weren't like, pressuring me or anything like that but I went down to visit Auburn in like a late it was like you know early April something like that um you know it's not like scorching hot it was just like per I went down there and the weather was just absolutely gorgeous that's the type of day when you know the sun is shining um everybody's out like the girls are out in sundresses and everyone's it just is so perfect outside and and Auburn's campus just shines on days like that and I I got there and it was like as soon as I got there I was like how could it how could I possibly stay in Maryland (laughs) so yeah all it took was one recruiting visit huh that's (laughs) That's it that's it good stuff so so you go down to Auburn uh and Alabama is a little different than Maryland we'll say and so what I mean, you obviously loved what you saw, but when you got down there, was it more of that? Was it more of just, uh, oh man, the, the awesomeness there? Or was there some, maybe some culture shock uh, in some of the changes? Or I, I don't know, t- if you can take us through kind of your, your early years there at Auburn. Yeah, definitely culture shock uh, in both good and bad ways. You know, like uh, just entering a whole new it was like you know a whole new country that's one of the things that's so fantastic <laughs> about the united states is that we have so many different regions that are so diverse and everything and uh yeah it was exceptionally different uh you know the southern baptists predominate uh and uh that was something i'd never really been exposed to uh so i had a lot of you know I, i've never been a particularly religious man myself but i was making friends with a lot of people that were so I was surrounded by that. Uh, 
just completely overwhelmed with how nice and welcoming everyone was. Uh, and uh, I, I was in love with how slow everything is just sort of slowed down. and Everyone just enjoys their day-to-day life and tries to keep it simple. So when you were down there, um, what, what were you studying? Was it something that pertained to uh, what you're doing now? Did you kind of always know you'd be going into uh, working with animals or veterinary work? Yeah, not so much veterinary work. Uh, at the time, I really wanted to be a wildlife biologist. Um, so, but yeah, same sort of, same, very similar interest. Uh, so, but as with any university, you know, your early classes, you know, I didn't start off with uh, anything, too much uh, biology courses, if you will, or wildlife <laughs> courses. There's a lot of like, you know, English and history and art and all that sort of thing. Uh, it wasn't until down the road that I started taking the zoology classes. What was, uh, you know, everyone has different college experiences and, and we'll talk about obviously football in a second here, but, you know, was there anything kind of that you, any experiences, uh, you know, I don't know, clubs or anything like that, that you uh, joined or was a part of uh, because you were a lot of schools out here in California, students are from California. And even though they may live on campus, they go home for the weekends. Uh, that's just kind of how the things are out here. Not everyone, but uh, if you can, kind of what the, you, t- you talked about the environment of the South and the, the city itself, but just like the college, did you kind of dive in and as the years went by, maybe, uh, I don't know, have a little bit more school spirit? I don't know what exactly I'm asking, but, you know, did you just kind of get more involved as the years went by? Yeah, so uh, definitely on the school spirit side, it didn't take me very long to get involved there. Uh, you know, the, I, as soon as you get there, you're there in the fall. I started, uh, would have been like September of 03, August of 03, something like that. So football season is more or less underway as soon as you get there. Uh, and that was something completely foreign to me, but man, did I enjoy it. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing, nothing more you can ask for as a college freshman who likes to party. You know, it's like, it's so, it's so fun, so much fun. And, uh, just it's and and there's such a cultural aspect to it as well. I mean, yeah. it's it's a lifestyle, you know. I don't know, just the the tailgating and the way that the tailgating is is done, and people arriving on Monday for a, a Saturday game and staying in their RVs for an entire week, and you're just seeing RVs just flooding into every street, every open vacant lot. It's it's a sight. It's uh, it was, it was definitely a culture shock. So, so would you say, Dane, I mean, you obviously grew up liking sports and everything, but college football really didn't have the, the meaning or the impact it did until you got to Auburn? 100%. Yeah, it was, a, mm-hmm. it was, it was a more or less foreign thing to me. I, you know, my dad has always watched the Terps, um, and so I was, I was a bit of a Terps fan, but uh, had really no idea that this whole other world of <laughs> super fandom existed within college sports. And, and uh, would you say, I I don't know, 80, 90% of the student body, it's that way maybe with, with kids who go there, didn't really know much about college football, or maybe they did go there for that reason alone. But would you say most students uh, just automatically buy into this and just love college football once they're there? Uh, Yes. Most students buy into it. I would say it's probably over 90%. Uh, 
I would say, I would guess, who knows what the actual statistics are, but I would guess it's something like probably 95% of the students attend the games. Um, but no, this isn't, they're not indoctrinated when they get there. This is, so the vast majority of the people that I went to school with are from the South, uh, either Alabama, I'd say then Georgia and Louisiana. So a lot of these people have been diehard Auburn fans their whole life. And then they get there and it's just continuing the same, the same tradition that their family has been, you know, they're, they're like third or fourth generation Auburn kids there, you know? Mm-hmm. No, oh, definitely. Um, uh, it sounded like you went to a lot of the games while you were there and yeah, uh, mm-hmm. if, if you can put into words what the iron bowl uh, means to the state of Alabama, Alabama versus Auburn. Um, I, I know the, you know, we'd be in the car sometimes and Sweet Home Alabama would come on and, uh, you know, you, you would uh, have some comments for that song even. And uh, anyway, I mean, what, what was, what can you tell us? Cause we all know Alabama football, we all know Auburn football, but man, when they play each other, it just seems to be a different type of rivalry. So what can you tell us as someone who went to that school, probably went to a game or two, what that rivalry means to the state, the South and college football? Yeah. What a vicious rivalry that is. Uh, man, it's like, I, I don't know. I've never, and I, and I, you know, I bought into it, you know, I, and somehow I just remember just having this, this um, illogical, just hate, hatred of Alabama. I don't know how it happened, but it just, it just happened uh, some, somewhere along the way. And I, I just remember uh, wanting, wanting Alabama to, go like oh and 13 every single year until their football program collapsed into dust you know so but uh as far as the iron bowl is concerned so i would say that unless either team is playing in the national championship that game is the most important game of the year there is i mean the the weight that's put on that game you could go, you could have like a horrible season. You could be two and 10, two and 11 up to that point. You win the iron ball, all is, all is forgiven. All is forgiven. And the same go, and, and it works the opposite way. You could be undefeated going into that game. If you lose the iron ball, your job's on the line. Like it's, that's just the way it works. That's uh, that's crazy stuff, man. And, and there's been some iconic moments here in the iron bowl, the previous, you know, few years, um, you know, the kick six is one that just, I think it's one of the yeah. craziest plays in all of football of all time ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kick, I could not believe that when I saw it. I mean, I, I uh, mean, I think the announcer even says it. I don't believe it. <laughs> <You know? yeah. laughs> but uh, well, one thing that is special at Auburn, um, well, is a, is a special thing after games uh, is uh, I believe I'm saying this right. Tumors corner. Is that, correct yeah too much yeah. corner um what, what can you tell us about that i know it involves throwing toilet paper over trees when you guys win but i don't want to steal your thunder dane what can you tell us about tumors corner down at auburn yeah tumors is uh that's a great tradition um and i don't know if you're familiar with what happened to the tree there um we can talk about that in a second if you like <laughs> but uh anyway um yeah great tradition uh so after any big football win and sometimes in other sports or even just good news for the university in general, uh, people 
rush to the rush to tumor's corner it's a very famous four-way intersection right in the heart of downtown uh, and uh, people bring toilet toilet paper and uh, they used to roll this giant tree um, you know I'm not actually sure what kind of tree it is now that I think about it but it was this just this giant tree with tons of branches branching out everywhere and uh, yeah, I mean, it would just be covered, just covered. You wouldn't even be, be able to see any leaves or bark or anything afterwards. It's it just crazy. And everyone's in such high spirits, and they're all chanting all the fight songs. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great time. Can I ask you, who, who, who would ultimately be, uh, have to clean up that, that uh, mess? <laughs> I've always been curious. Mess? <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was always hung over the next day when some, and then I would just wake up and all the toilet paper would be gone. <laughs> oh man. Well, well, unfortunately a, um, a crazed Alabama fan will say, um, yeah. and, uh, and I don't you probably are like, well, they're all crazy, but, but uh, unfortunately um, an Alabama fan after a game uh, went down there and poisoned the trees basically right and the tree yeah. ended up dying yep yep and that yeah. was uh i believe that was after my time there i can't remember do you do you have a year on that i don't i'm looking all. here um it looks like it was 2016 i could be wrong let's see no it was 2010 man okay so that would have been uh, my last year there okay mm-hmm it, it was uh, it was January of 2011 where uh, a fan called to confess uh, that he drove uh, after the loss, of course, to Alabama in 2010. He went down to uh, the corner and uh, um, and uh, poisoned the trees. So uh, I'm not sure. Did the trees grow back? They, they must have grown back, didn't they? Or I don't remember what the city did. I believe they tried to plant new trees because no, those, those trees I think were doomed. He put enough poison in the soil that there was, everyone was like, Oh, they'll save them. They'll save them. And apparently uh, that was not the case. Uh, he apparently put poisoned the soil so much that uh, the trees were, there was no chance for the trees to survive. There. Yeah. I know there's been some efforts, some, uh, to to uh, replant some trees to do what they could because it is a special tradition it is something that represents uh, Auburn uh, very well I'm not positive but I believe Dane the guy I got to look this up I should have probably but hey we're winging it here I believe the guy who did that uh, recently passed away like a couple oh. of days ago even I'm not pause. I'm, I'm going to look it up for you, but, or for us, I should say, but anyway, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. But uh, while, while I'm kind of doing that, Dane, would you explain to me how far apart are the campuses, Auburn and Alabama? Yeah, I made that trip once. Um, also just from umpiring college ball down there, I got to know the lay of the state pretty well. Uh, I believe it's uh, something to the tune of like two and a half hours. Okay, so it's not, I mean, a lot of rivalries, you know, some of the best ones are, are because of the proximity and how close they were uh, to each other. Uh, so that's not too bad of a, of a trip. So you have been to the University of Alabama and that stadium and, and look at, they're a huge powerhouse. They've, they've done some amazing things. What can you, I know you have disdain for them and everything, but what, what can you tell me about uh, what a football game was like at the University of Alabama? 
Yeah, I never, I never paid for a ticket. Those tickets get to be really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never won the away game lottery that they hold for the students uh, to be able to go to one of those games uh, in Tuscaloosa. However, uh, so I've actually, I've never actually been uh, to the stadium. There. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was there for the game, uh, it was, it was pretty crazy. I, I definitely had to keep my head down. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> campus itself, as far as it compares to Auburn, much more urban setting. If you can imagine an urban setting in Alabama, uh, <laughs> interesting very interesting well i did look it up uh dean dean sorry that said dean That's here in the article dean uh harvey updike was his name he's the yeah. one who, he's yeah. who, who poisoned the auburn uh tumors corner trees he this was uh i think yesterday uh yeah he he died 71 years old um his family confirmed i'm not sure what it was over but yeah he was a convicted criminal uh, uh, with damages to the uh, agricultural damage of an agricultural facility. He served more than 70 days in jail and was ordered to pay $800,000 in fines. So, or in restitution, I should say. So that's some information uh, on the uh, Updike. And uh, I'm sure that name gets a lot of hatred in the Auburn area these days. So I heard that name in quite some in quite some time. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Well, well, well Dane, as we kind of uh, continue here, you know, SEC football we've discussed is just completely different. It's a different environment. It's a different passion. You know, there's some big USC fans out here. There's, there's big uh, Ohio State fans. There's big Michigan fans and great fan bases, great programs. But SEC football is just more important down in that region to every single one of those schools, top to bottom. Uh, and, and SEC football, you know, I, I used to, I, I, didn't, I never despised it. I always appreciate and respect the passion of SEC football, the fan base and how important it is to people down there. So if you could sum up kind of, uh, we talked about Auburn, we talked about Alabama, but just SEC football in general, it's gotta be something that even today you carry with you, right? And, and, are, and are rooting for the SEC. Yeah, unless it's Alabama, I'll always root for the SEC for sure. (laughs) Yeah, obviously Auburn first, and then after that, you know, when it comes to bowl games and everything, everything I'm always pulling for the SEC. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I I sort of touched on it earlier. It's a way of life for people, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot less of an NFL following. I mean, you've got Atlanta, you know. Um, and you've got, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, uh, but other than that, you know, and, and the Titans as well, but I don't know, it's just, it's so much bigger, so much more universally followed, uh, than the NFL, uh, and, and, and it's generational as I touched on before, you know, it, it's, you're indoctrinated into it. You know, you see people posting their pictures of their babies in, in Auburn and, and, uh, Georgia Bulldog gear and it's just it like I said it's 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 not just you know your your fan following it's it, it's in your very blood in your family you know mm-hmm. well I, I think with the pro sports and and I'm kind of these days on the fence a little bit with some of the things going on around pro sports even though we are starting to get pro sports back after this quarantine and everything you know College sports are unique. There's a lot of money. We know a lot of money into these programs and everything, but 
you know, there is a, a, a sense more about like community than there is with, you know, say the Los Angeles Rams or the Atlanta Falcons. And maybe there's a regional base there, especially with a team like Atlanta. But at the same time, it's like my home state is this, and this is who I root for. Uh, or maybe you have a relative who went to a school or something. I think you have, it's more likely you have a connection to a university with a family member or a friend than it is a family member or a friend who played for this NFL team. So I, I think there's some, that's some of the logic there. And um, even though it's a lot of money and the stadiums are huge, there's still a community feel for most college Absolutely. football fans. Right. Yeah. I think, I think you hit it on the head. Absolutely. It, that's, that's a hundred percent. It makes you, <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, I could talk football all day, college football all day, and I, I could talk it all all day. But we got to get to some other things. Uh, as you're finishing up your uh, your college career at Auburn, you made the decision to go to professional umpire school, and like so many guys there, there's a lot of different motivations and reasons that we go to umpire school. So if you could take me kind of through that process, what made you decide was it overnight was it kind of a you know over a string of events what made you say you know what i'm graduating college here soon but i want to go uh try out professional umpire school yeah yeah so uh i was in my fraternity uh and one of my fraternity brothers was one night he was talking about how he was going to go to a high school baseball meeting uh, and I was like, hey, you mind if I join you? Uh, I, you know, I used to, you know, umpire some travel ball, and I was pretty good at it, you know. Uh, and uh, he was like, yeah, so we go. Um, we start umpiring and very quickly realize, you know, we both have a knack for it. Um, and so my buddy, his name is Chase, Chase Bennett. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we work our way up, you know, before we know it, you know, our sophomore year, we're already starting to umpire some juco ball. Um, and then, you know, by the time we graduate, we've been umpiring, you know, university baseball for, you know, two, three years. Um, so we're, you know, we both have a knack for it. And then he just sort of approaches me one day, uh, and talks to me and he's like, Hey, do you, uh, do you want to go to pro school? And I, I was like, I hadn't even really ever thought about it, you know? And, and I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like, let's do it. You know, let's, let's, let's do it. You know, I, I love umpiring. Uh, I'm good at it. Uh, you know, let's, let's do it. And, you know, I had a partner in crime and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So we just, we just said, screw it, let's do it. And, uh, I had planned at the time that the, the plan was to graduate before going into umpire school. Um, but I was enjoying my time at Auburn a little bit too thoroughly so it took me longer to graduate than it should have. Um, so I was not graduated by the time I attended uh, umpire school. Um, but yeah, that's, that was how the decision was made. Interesting. So when you went, was there a feeling, cause it's different for everyone. Was there a feeling, yeah, I'll just go and I'll, I'll probably get picked up and, and jump into the minor leagues and see what happened. I mean, did you have any idea kind of what, life could be like in minor league baseball had you researched it I mean what was kind of as you're going into umpire school after making the decision were you planning to be like yeah I'll, I'll try this minor league baseball thing out yeah no I mean it was more than that it was you know everyone gets swept up in it right you know it's uh 
sort of becomes your, your dream, if mm-hmm. you will, and uh, very quickly became mine too. Uh, and then, but I feel like everyone that's there sort of has this uh, imposter syndrome, right? Like, like everyone that goes to umpire school is like, oh, are they going to pick me? Even when it's like obvious to the other uh, people at school, like, oh, that guy's definitely going to get picked. You know, even to that guy, he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get picked or not. You know, uh, nobody, nobody really has the confidence that, oh, I'll, I'll definitely be one of the 25 or so guys that gets picked up. Um, so I wasn't like, yeah, let's give this a shot. First and foremost, I was like, God, I hope they pick me, you know? Um, but then, you know, once it did, once it did happen, I was just elated. And, uh, you know, next thing I know, I'm umpiring games with you in the CPO. Yeah, I know. So, uh, because our year was so unique, there wasn't a whole lot of movement in minor league baseball with guys either, you know, uh, being released guys, uh, retiring, whatever the case was. Uh, so there was only like out of the evaluation course, only like nine openings, but yeah. where they put their next guys in line is they put them in this college Woodbat league in the Carolinas in Virginia is called the coastal plain league. And uh, it was really weird. You're dealing with college players who, you know, think they are better than they are. And uh, because you're kind of in this like stadium format, uh, in these small towns, they, they think it's minor league baseball. It's, it's a decent training ground for us to go and do, but, uh, we were paired up you and I, and we went in there in May of 2009 and the rookie ball base, uh, minor league season wasn't starting till late June. So it was kind of an idea to go there and be like, well, we can, uh, we can get some time in here and hopefully they call us. That was kind of the, kind of the outlook, um, I do remember when we met Dane, you know, I, I don't remember the type of car you had. Maybe it was a, a Corolla or something, but I remember I had my stuff. I go up to your car and your car <laughs> was completely full already shirts in the back on the hanger. I was like, well, where's my stuff going to go? This is going to be interesting. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. It's a Toyota Corolla. Yep. Good times in that car, brother. I mean, we uh, we traveled yeah, we all did. over. We traveled all over the Carolinas, and you're traveling almost uh, every day, really, with the structure of the league. Um, I learned a lot about myself, and and I'll tell you, it's, I started umpiring. It's the first time I started to work nine inning games, and by like the the sixth inning, I was like, man, we got a long way to go here. Still, it was rough. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What what are some of your memories from that time in the CPL, uh, Dane, some of mine are just, it seemed like it rained all the time. We traveled every day. <laughs> I got, I got tired of like the meal vouchers they would give us. Uh, some of the situations were not pretty, uh, but, but what are some of your memories and thoughts from that experience together in May of 2009? Yeah. You know, it's like, and I feel like most of the minor leagues, uh, even, even some of the lower tier, you know, short A leagues, they at least have a couple towns that have, that are pretty glorified. They're like, you know, small city, a um, couple hundred thousand people. And that those are always like a nice destination, but CPL doesn't really have much of that going on. You know, it's, it's, all it's almost all like real small towns, um, where the baseball stadium is the really the only thing in town, only game in town, quite literally. 
and uh yeah i just remember and i just remember feeling constantly like there's not really much to do so you and i would always end up at, at dives and and uh just getting into trouble and uh, fortunately not too much trouble but uh yeah, it was, uh, you know, it just, and then like you said, traveling, the, one of the big differences is that you're not there for a series like you are in minor league baseball. You're there for a single, single day uh, and then off to the next spot. So it's a, it's even worse from a travel standpoint. Yeah, when we way. started, I, I wasn't sure. I was like, okay, well, we're going to try this out and hopefully things work out. Hopefully, you know, by the end of summer, I get the call to be in, in affiliated professional baseball. Um and it worked out. It worked out for both of us that our experience there was not, um, you know, the end of our road. It was kind of the beginning, which is pretty cool. So we each got yeah. the call to go to minor league baseball and uh, went to our prospective leagues. Uh, what, what was that phone call like for you? Um, I know it was probably from Lillian and unfortunately Lillian, the longtime secretary with um, the kind of worked with us and umpires and everything. She recently passed away. Uh, I saw a um, wonderful, wonderful woman. But what was, what was that phone call like for you when you got the call? Yeah, I remember I very, very similar to, to when I found out that I was going to be going to the CPL. I remember just like running outside and I'm like jumping in the air like, <laughs> like you know, just absolutely going, going ballistic. And uh, yeah, just I, I, I just can't express – you know, it's like, it's, it's dream. Your dream is coming true. You know, your, your dream is literally coming true. Um, so yeah, just complete elation. Now, if I remember correctly, didn't you go to the Arizona league? Yeah. How ironic is that? Right. You, uh, you know, I ended up in Arizona and you're over there in Florida. Yeah, very much so. I mean, California guys, yeah, I could have been in Arizona, You, but that's just how it works sometimes. Like, you know what, uh, you think you have things figured out and then you wind up uh, somewhere else. So uh, we were both just thrilled to, to be in, to get in, to get our, our feet wet. And we did, I'm sure that first year, I've heard great things about the Arizona League. And uh, as far as more so with similar to the Gulf Coast League, it's more so just being with everybody. It's not just yeah. you, you and one partner, right? It's you with a group of guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it's very unique rookie ball was uh, in that standpoint, you know, after, as you well know, the years after that, you know, you're with one person, uh, three people, if you are lucky enough to be, end up in long a, um, but uh, not, not in rookie ball and rookie ball. It was like, we had our, our camp. We, we stayed in this, <laughs> this uh, extended stay all nine or 10 of us stayed in this extended stay in Phoenix. Uh, I can't remember for the life of me what, what part of Phoenix, but it was Phoenix proper, uh, not any of the suburbs around it. And then, you know, you got like an hour, hour and a half drive at most to get to all your games in the Arizona league. So very unique having like a headquarters there, mm -hmm. uh, which made the quality of life just exponentially greater than the years to follow. Yeah, starting out, the games and the fields weren't that exciting, but being around the guys was a lot of fun. Um, what were some of your other stops along the way um, after that in your minor league baseball career, some of the other leagues you worked? Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, the next year, so that would have been 
the 09 season. 2010, I was uh, in short A in the New York Penn. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that, would, that one's pretty self-explanatory. New York, Pennsylvania, I think there's a team in Jersey, but right around that northeastern area. Um, and then spent the next year after that in the Midwest League. And then my final year was in the South Atlantic League. Couldn't really make that push past uh, uh, long season A ball. Yeah. And you know what, man, most of us, our careers, obviously, I think most minor league baseball umpires, if we're honest, the the career ends before you wanted it to. Um, There are guys who walk away. They say, no, this isn't for me anymore. Um, But it's just the nature of the business. And um, it it is what it is. But I think while you're in it, you got to just embrace every pitch, every play, and just embrace your experience while you're there. So uh, who were you partners with in the Midwest League in 2011? Because we were both there at the same time. Yeah, I was uh, Mario Seneca. Mario, that's right. That's right. I was like trying to piece everything together. And um, one thing you and I had a very unique, (laughs) unique thing about, and there was a few other guys too, is our last name. I can't, I can't tell you how many times my last name has been butchered. Uh, and I know you're in a similar position and there was, we always made fun of guys in, in the league, in the crew. They're like other umpires, like who had the most unique <laughs> name, the most, the name that was, uh, you know, fans or, or uh, broadcasters would be ridiculing you and say, say your name completely wrong. So Dane Vitaski, but how, how, what are some of the most butchered ways your name has been pronounced? Man, people love to hone in on that J, man. There's a silent <laughs> J in my name, and that's, that's where, it's where it all goes wrong. Um, yeah, Ratajaski. Uh, uh, yeah, they insert a, a third syllable there or a fourth syllable there. Uh, Ratajski. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's probably the most common one, common one. Um, yeah, those are the two big ones right there. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, who was the dust uh, man? We had all kinds of kinds of guys. We have we had a Livensparger. We had yep. uh, dust. We had Klinghagen. Kling, you know, Kling, we had some funny names and my Hersima. I I can't tell you Harassima, Hermahiza. I, I mean, guys just Here's, like Hersima. Hersima yeah. is what how it looks, right? But some guys yeah. they see the name and they just like after two letters they give up. <laughs> It's just so funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, I, that's something I love is umpire names. Like I see a name, I'm like, oh man, that's a great umpire name. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, oh man. Well, well, Dane, if you could sum up your, your minor league baseball experience, you did it for four years. Um, you yeah. can, you know, what, what were kind of some of the things you took from it all? And I don't know, maybe just some, maybe not memories, but just, just moments, how you felt after it was all said and done. I mean, were you glad you did it? Did you appreciate the experience? Yeah, I will always cherish that time in my life. I mean, we got to experience something so unique and it's just a very unique way of life and something that, um, you know, a lot of people, the vast majority of people aren't uh, fortunate enough to experience. Uh, I mean, what could, what more could you ask for? You know, it's like, you know, you don't have to be at work until 4 p.m., right, most of the, most days. And, uh, you know, so you get, you go, you work for about, you know, six to eight hours uh, total. And, and then, you know, you're done. You get done. You're in a city you've never been to before. 
and it's like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, uh, maybe it's the weekend and it's like, oh, well, let's go explore, you know, and you're, you're hopefully you're partnered with somebody that's of a similar mindset and, you know, that's just a blast. And then you get to, you get to, you know, go to bed and do it all over again. I mean, it's, it's just such a fantastic lifestyle. Um, and then not to mention, you know, your actual job is a sports fan's dream, uh, you know, so it was it was pretty incredible, you know, as far and then as far as when everything started coming to an end, uh, you know, I've always been a pretty self-aware person. So I saw the writing on the wall. I knew what was coming, uh, but I decided to enjoy every last bit of it uh, and not walk away on my own. And so, yeah, I got the I got the news, uh, you know, I guess around October of 2012, some, somewhere around then. Uh, they told me they weren't going to be having me back and, um, tough to hear, you know, but <laughs> I think at the time I was actually like in Spain or something like that. So wasn't too bothered. I was like, all right, cool. Uh, thanks for the call, Justin. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, go, go have a drink at the bar outside, you know, like I wasn't, wasn't super bothered by it. Like I said, heard the writing, saw the writing on the wall. Um, just, I'm just happy that that happened and I'm also happy to move on and try something else now. Yeah. You know, it's something that's so unique where you, you literally are told kind of that your dream is, is no more. And I don't know how many other professions really experience that. Maybe, maybe the ball players. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but I try to explain it. I've, I've been out of the year. I've been out of the minor leagues for eight years now and I still get asked all the time. Hey, how the minor league going to be, uh, you're going to be in major league baseball soon. I'm like, no, I, I haven't, I'm no longer in minor league baseball and uh, no, it doesn't work that way. So it's hard to explain to people and they're like, what, what, what do you mean? Because they, the people who know you or they know me, they think you're the, you're the, you know, oh, you're you're a major league baseball umpire. They think they, they yeah. don't know that there's so many more people around. It's like saying that the top kid in little league is, is going to be a major league baseball player. Like, no, it doesn't work that way all the time. So it's unique where your, your dream kind of is told to you that, hey, it's, you're done with, but you move on to things. That's life. That's, yes. And so what were some of the things that you, uh, you know, that you got into or dove into after your minor league baseball uh, experience? Did you continue to umpire at all? Or did you kind of say, ah, I need to move on with my life? Yeah, I did. I took a little hiatus. I think I took one season off. Uh, I moved out to Oxnard, uh, very close to your backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was out there for about three or four months. Uh, one of my buddies was stationed out there and he in, was in the Marine Corps and uh, was stationed out there at the time. He was like, hey, come out come and hang out out here for a little while. Uh, so I got to experience some of that West Coast life. Uh, that was fantastic. Uh, and then, but I was just sort of spinning my wheels, wasn't really moving my life along in any professional standpoint. Uh, so, you know, eventually had to get a job. Uh, I was in a relationship at the time and, uh, my girlfriend was back in Baltimore and, uh, she was, you know, that wasn't going well, me being on the West coast or being there. So <laughs> ended up, uh, moving back, moving back and, uh, you know, for mostly for her. Um, but then also got a job, uh, was honestly was in a place where I was like, I just got to the point where I was like, I need a job. You know, I can't, can't just be unemployed anymore. It was like six or eight months out of uh, minor league balls. Like, 
you know, I can't just, it's just a hit to your self-esteem. I feel like when you collect that unemployment check over and over again, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so eventually I just started looking at jobs, was going to do anything, whatever, whatever I had a vague interest in, then I could make more than 10 bucks an hour and uh, ended up working as a vet tech. Uh, Had no experience in the veterinary industry uh, prior to that. Uh, and, uh, I was completely green in the state of Maryland. You don't have to be a licensed technician, uh, to, to be a technician. So I was completely green and they just trained me on the spot. And I did that for about two and a half years. And I was in surgery one day with one of the doctors, uh, Dr. Lynn, uh, Chamberlain was her name. And she said, Dana, have you ever thought about going to veterinary school? And I was like, I was like, Dr. Chamberlain, uh, I did, did not perform very well in undergraduate school. I was like, I really have no business applying to veterinary school. And she was like, well, maybe you should look into some of the schools down in the Caribbean. They have, a, I, what was the way she put it? She said, they have a more holistic uh, approach to admissions. This was the word she used. <laughs> I thought that was a very political choice of words. And uh I was like, sort, I still sort of felt like it was unrealistic, uh, but I was getting to a place in my life where I was like, I don't really want to be a veterinary technician for the rest of my life. Um, and at that point in time, in that point in my life, I wasn't the type of individual that could work a nine to five and then come home and pursue the next step in life. I just didn't have the drive to do that. So I ended up quitting my job uh, and traveling around the United States. I went on a road trip for about three months around the United States. I, uh, I met up with some Australian guys uh, that were working, they call it working seasons. Uh, they were working as ski instructors up in, uh, not Banff, uh, Whistler. They were working up in Whistler in Canada. And they were like, hey, we're going to be down in Colorado in about three weeks. You want to meet us there? And so I met up with them in Colorado, and then we just went on this huge West Coast road trip. And I would stop at just a small town with a nice library every so often. And I would just say, hey, guys, I'll meet you in uh, a few days. I'm just going to stay here and get some stuff done. And I would just go to the library every day, and I would start applying to, like, graduate school, veterinary school, just trying to research, like, what the next step was going to be. Uh, and uh, all the while I was staying in a tent and uh, yeah, so that's, and then, you know, that was, I want to say that was right around like June, July. Uh, and uh, then I get, I start to get done with my road trip and it's like August, September. And I find out from uh, Ross, the, the veterinary school I went to, uh, they told me I, I was in, I got into vet school and I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing this. Um, so I, despite my, uh, pessimism, uh, I, I did get in, uh, so they, they do have a more holistic approach. I know, I know for a fact now, um, uh, and, uh, I spent the next two and a half years down there on the Island of St. Kitts going to veterinary school. And, uh, that was a hell of a journey, hell of a journey down there. Just, uh, absolutely fantastic. I will always cherish my time down there. Uh, that two and a half years, um, met my current girlfriend down there and started dating. Uh, 
And then uh, since there's not a big veterinary industry in the Caribbean, you know, people don't really take their pets to the animal hospital enough for you to get real practice for your clinical year. Uh, we do that in the States. And I did my clinical year at Tufts um, about an hour west of Boston. Um, so I, I spent the last, actually that was last year. I spent the last year there uh, in uh, the Massachusetts area. And then I got my job offer and now I'm here in Buffalo, New York of all places. <laughs> what a story, man. You know, I think that there's a great lesson there in that sometimes we make plans or we think we're going to wind up somewhere at some point and it's completely the opposite of what we ever thought we would do. And you're, you're one of many people that I've seen that in and I myself am that way. And, and kind of some of the things you were saying, Dane, about, you know, just kind of being ready to whatever, move on and try something out. And it led to something. That's where I'm at right now. I, I've, I've been this sports official for so long. And then with sports being kind of dead here in uh, 2020, it's opened my eyes a bit because I've distanced myself from uh, each sport at a different time. I've kind of slowly but surely started to get away from it. So I don't know what the next steps are for me uh, down the road here, but it is encouraging when you hear stories like yours, uh, just of people that weren't quite sure what was going to happen and then uh, found up or wound up exactly where they were supposed to. And, and I'm sure that's how you feel uh, right now. Yeah. I mean, you hit it on the head. It's like, you know, it's, it's, Life isn't always going to be, you know, for some people, they're fortunate enough to, you know, sort of know what they want to do the whole way along, but yeah. life isn't that easy for all of us. And I think you just have to not let it get to you and just figure out what it is you might be interested in, you know, cause you not, like I said, not everyone is like, Oh, I know this is what I want to do. You know, for, it's not that clear cut for everyone. Um, you just kind of pick something you think you might be interested in or something you're good at or, or whatever it is and figure out, you know, how can I, how can I make this work for me? You know, how can I, how can I do what I enjoy doing and contribute to the world? Amen to that, man. Well, that's a, a great way to kind of wrap everything up. Uh, I think it's been a fun conversation, Dane. I've, I've learned a lot. It's been great catching up with you. Uh, it sounds again, like you're right where you should be with everything. I mean, do you have any long-term goals with, with this uh, veterinarian work? I mean, you, I know you just got started, so it's hard to maybe look forward uh, or you just kind of like, Hey, happy where you're at right now. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I used to be the, you know, take it one day at a time type person, but no, I've uh, started to change my tune as far as that's concerned and definitely have long-term goals. I really am interested in owning hospitals and just changing the culture um, uh, within the veterinary industry and being a little bit more um, client focused and, the way that uh, people are able to bring their animals in and be more involved in the whole process. Yeah. I want to really want to own hospitals. That's the long term. Oh, great stuff, man. Well, I know a lot of animals out there, a lot of people's pets are in great hands uh, with you. And I'm so happy that you are doing uh, something you love, something you were supposed to do. And it's been, it's been quite a ride. Uh, I was glad that we had an opportunity to uh, share the road together for a couple months and uh, obviously share some stories now about the past. It's been just so much fun. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I don't get to the East Coast too often, but uh, if I do, if I plan a trip here uh, in the near future, I will definitely be looking you up. 
Yeah, buddy. If I'm ever in the LA area, you better believe uh, you're going to hear from me. Oh man, absolutely. You, you uh, come, come, uh, come out. We got plenty of room and we would love to see you, man. Love to share some stories around the campfire, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again, Dane. Uh, great talking to you, man. You too, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Dane Ritaski. a blast catching up with you, my friend. Let's not wait another 11 years before we have a nice long conversation. My best wishes to your Baltimore Ravens. I think they're going to have a great year. And the Auburn Tigers, I think they're going to be in the mix as well. Not sure about the Orioles, but who knows about baseball now with kind of this uh, odd format they're in. Anyway, Dane, I wish you nothing but the best up in Buffalo. And uh, I think all of the animals there that you are uh, working with are in great hands. Talk to you again very, very soon. Well, guys, that will wrap up today's show. On Tuesday, we've had uh, two great guests already this week. And tomorrow, well, you know who will be back here on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in is Bill Barnes. Back here again. Uh, He's our only weekly guest And you know what? I can promise you, as I often say, that Bill Barnes is fired up, ready to go on a Wednesday. I know I am. He brings out a completely different side of me. I definitely get a little more fired up, say some things that maybe I hold back on on other episodes throughout the week. Because, I, you know, I I like respecting our guests. And I don't know where a lot of our guests always stand on things. So I want to kind of invite them on the show and then some of their their friends are listening to me rant and rave about something that maybe they disagree with but anyway that happens and can't control it all but on wednesdays we get after it with bill barnes he's a retired police officer retired college baseball umpire uh and we talk a lot about current events some of the things we've seen uh as we uh, as the week goes you know the from the times we record Last week, we had plenty of fireworks, and I'm sure we'll have plenty more this week. There's a lot of things I've written down already this week about sports reopening, some of the politics in sports, some of the policies we're seeing around the country, a lot of different topics, and uh, Bill will be fired up, as I will be as well. So be sure to join us on Wednesday for the weekly Wednesday weigh-in with Bill Barnes. Looking forward to having you with us. Well, guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have a Twitter handle that is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast at Yahoo.com. And I did it again, guys. I do that all the time. I got to slow it down a little bit. Try it again. Twitter handle Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at Yahoo.com. We also have a feature on the Anchor app. If that's where you listen to our podcast you can go to anchor.fm or download the anchor app you can go find our podcast you can click on the green button that says messages you can leave a voice message that i can play on one of our episodes i can then respond to it much like a caller in type of show Uh, we don't have phone lines here or anything yet nor do we do the show live but uh, that's an opportunity for guests to kind of participate in the program if they'd like ask me a random question and maybe suggest some uh, topic of conversation or some content so i can respond to that question on the air after you guys hear that person's voice uh, and their question so that is an option i just want to continue to say that so that people are aware of different ways they can participate in the get home safe podcast if you follow us on facebook instagram or twitter be sure to uh, give us a like if you can and uh, you know Continue to look in for updated content on there. We are pretty active on those platforms. We try to post a picture of the upcoming guests for the next day's show uh, every single evening 
uh, just to kind of give everyone an idea of who is uh, coming on the program and maybe a brief description of what we're going to talk about as well. For those new to the program, kind of what we do uh, typically, traditionally uh, with our with our shows, we have a 10, 15, even 20 minute opening segment uh, of just me kind of rambling away of my thoughts of the day, uh, whatever it could be anything sports related, maybe uh, non-sports related, doesn't matter. We're kind of all over the place at times. But that's kind of the opening, and then we go into an interview with uh, our our guests. So that's kind of the layout here on the Get Home Safe podcast. I definitely would like to hear from more people as we move forward. So we're trying to set up interviews every single day that we can then post to uh, our our episodes later on. Uh, the, the the, The next week, I should say, is kind of how we do things. So if anyone's interested in coming on the program, you know where to reach us on social media, uh, our email address. Uh, feel free to reach out, have a suggestion. I've heard from a few people already. Um, so we're going to try to put together some interviews here shortly and try to really, again, improve on our content here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Well, guys, that will wrap things up. Thanks again to Dane Ritaski. A lot of fun uh, talking with you, man, and we will do it again very, very soon. Hope you can join us tomorrow, guys, for the weekly Wednesday weigh-in with Bill Barnes. I can promise you, uh, even if you don't agree with everything, it uh, is at least entertaining. I can promise you that. But guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.